Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. Today, with a festive twist, you are joined, as always, by Melbourne journalist Michelle Andrews, that would be me, and Zara McDonald, that would be you, my friend. Merry Christmas! (laughs) Coming up on today's show, it is a Christmas special, kind of. There will be presents and this Christmas jingle, and Zara and I will be drinking champagne the entire way through. Cheers, Zara. Also, cheers to Annabelle Lee, our wonderful shameless community manager who is here with champagne also merry christmas all (laughs) (laughs) what are we talking about today well there is the curious christmas instagram campaign that is unlike anything we've seen plus the best pop culture moments of the decade and finally the chrissy teigen and john legend argument that sings to our souls but first, Zara, it is presents time. We're not doing how was your week today. We're doing presents instead. Let's do presents. Should you go first? I'm going to give you my present first because I'm worried about yours. Yours has been like this thing all week where big parcels have been arriving to the office and you won't let me see them and you've been very secretive. It's because my presents aren't really like your average present. Like I'm, I'm dressing up for you. I'm putting on a bit of a show for you. So I would like to see yours. Yours is wrapped for me. Mine's wrapped for you. You can also wear mine, but maybe just try it on before so you try on your costume. Do not stress. I know this is kind of an annoying form of audio. If you can't see what we've got here, we will have photos on our Instagram straight away and I will describe this as best I possibly can. Michelle's handing over the present <laughs> as we speak. I would like you to admire my terrible This is one of the shittest pieces of wrapping I've ever seen. Yes. Annabelle, if you could just help me rip this apart while I try and stay on mark. All right, so we've got lovely people. We've got some green wrapping paper that I'm pulling. I'm going to narrate this. Oh, and and a box that nearly fell over. The box is opened, which is lovely that I don't have to open the box. You're welcome. That was my laziness. Now pull out the first item and I want you to put it on. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) people playing at home, (laughs) customised T-shirt with screenshots of my feet on there. (laughs) Can I get a good look? You can probably see my feet. For anyone wondering, a few weeks ago I would have said that Zara and I did did a festive shoot where Zara dressed up as an elf for our 12 days of Christmas. Can you stop? Looking at all the other presents just for a second. In one photo that I posted to Instagram, Zara forced me to crop out her feet because she has the ugliest feet in the world. I went to the liberty of cropping them out of that particular photo, but then photoshopping them onto every piece of apparel, stationery, office equipment I could find. So happy Christmas. There is your feet on a T-shirt, on a notebook, on a pen, on a mug, on some stickers. I have a pen as well. You've got a pen. You've got some stickers. You've got a mug. This is amazing. These stickers are going to end up everywhere in the office. And you're (laughs) going to be the real loser because you're not going to be able to escape my feet. The best part about this photo, and I will put this online, you can finally see my fucking feet, is the fake (laughs) tan stains. It's so it's so bad. It's like I have a million different skin tones on my one foot. What do you think of the T-shirt? Are you going to wear it? Absolutely, I'll yeah. wear it. 100% cotton. <laughs> wow, Michelle. <laughs> only the best. So generous. <laughs> only the best, my little ugly-footed friend. Oh, thank you. That is so thoughtful of you. I love this mug. Oh, my God. The pen says foot-tastic on it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So my present for you, I thought, what better way to celebrate Christmas with than with the two things you hate the most? Yes. So what do you hate the most at the moment about Christmas? I don't like jingles. 
No, that is a lie. You already know the first <laughs> present because I already dressed up for you. Oh, I hate the Grinch and I hate Dr. Seuss. So Michelle hates the Grinch. It's a funny, funny, strange phobia. So I am currently in a Grinch costume for those playing at home. <laughs> I will show you that costume on Instagram. It's like very hot and heavy and a pretty like wild costume. It's a very convincing Grinch. That's why I want you to put on the foot t-shirt so I have to like stop looking at you dressed up as the Grinch. The other thing that you hate most about the world right now, this could be a long and tedious game. Oh no, what? The thing I hate the most about the world well, right now. Well, who are you hating the most? Who? Oh, no, you didn't get Selena Gomez. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. That's fucking close. Because I'm, like, still living down that segment. I have a bit of regret. But what do you, what did you do? All right, Annabelle, I would like to send you out of the room All to right. bring in our fourth member of Shameless Media. Fuck off. What have our you done? Our fourth member of Shameless Media. A life-size member of Shameless Media. <laughs> Could I get you to turn around for me, please? I'm scared. Turn I'm scared. Is it, like, Donald Trump or something? <laughs> 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 it's Why is Scott Morrison in our office? Okay, in my defence, I bought this about three weeks ago before he really embroiled himself in a heap of drama. Scott Morrison's gone missing because he's in Hawaii, so I brought Scott Morrison back to Australia. Oh my, I wish he had a Hawaiian shirt on, but otherwise, this is not what I was expecting at all. This is not what you want for Christmas. You don't want a life-size cut out of Scott Morrison, the worst leader in Australia at the moment, and uh, the Grinch, this the life-size embarrassing, Grinch. Zara. Lots of people look into our office. Like We have lots of adjacent offices and we have a glass wall. I'm just going to stick it to the wall and everyone's, not explain anything. Everyone's going to think we're massive ScoMo fans. It's very – we're not. For the record, let the record show. That's exactly the point. He's much taller than you or I, this life-side cutout. We'll take this, a photo. Is it is accurate? It, I don't know. Stand I'm going to stand up, everyone. Sorry if you can't hear me properly. I'm, oh. I'm as tall as ScoMo. I think it's not exactly to size, but still, ScoMo's a little taller than you. That's how tall this life-size cutout is. So Merry Christmas. So you're telling me I have to take the life-size cutout of ScoMo home? Is that my present? Well, truthfully, I kind of either want it in the office or want to just take it home myself and start trolling people over the, the holiday period. I feel like ScoMo's the least festive person in here. I feel it's like he needs a Christmas hat or something on. Yeah, he's the least festive person, period, at the moment, <laughs> given his popularity. But that is for another time. But all the Christmas flurry aside, Michelle, shall we get into the show? We absolutely should. Annabelle just left the room if you heard that little door clicking there. ScoMo still here, as I'm sure you're all thrilled to know. We are starting today, Zara, with something that baffled and befuddled all of our listeners in our Facebook group. This was actually brought to us by our friend Brittany Stewart. You guys might recognise that name from the Christmas Binge podcast or the Beauty Island podcast. Britta's is a friend of ours and she is very prominent in the podcasting space. But this week, Zara, she DM'd us and said, girls, I need you to solve this Christmas mystery. It was a Christmas mystery bigger than I've ever seen before. It was a whole heap of sponsored content on our Instagram feed that looked like a sponsored ad for Christmas. So no brand was named. There was just literally the hashtag, thanks for the memories, a hashtag Christmas and then hashtag ad. And I was sitting there thinking, is Jesus sponsoring <laughs> an Instagram campaign for Christmas? I thought it was Fallout Boy. Thanks for the memories. That's a st- As if Fallout Boy have that much money to pay all these people. Yeah. So this was the bizarre thing, right? We had radio host Chrissy Swan, television host Rebecca Madden, television journalist and former bachelorette Georgia Love, all posting hashtag ad, hashtag thanks for the memories. The thing that got me about this is that the sponsored content was nowhere near alike. It wasn't like they were all posting photos in the same t-shirt or they were all posting photos with the same meal in front of them. It was whatever the fuck they felt like or it appeared that way anyway. Chrissy Swans was of a sandwich with a lot of onion in it. Georgia Loves was these like family throwbacks. Rebecca Madden was just her posing in front of a tree. There was no synergy and I hate that word but no synergy between the posts and no product or brand calling out the post and be like yeah this is an ad 
had for us. And given we spend so much time on Instagram at the moment and given a lot of people monetize their accounts through sponsored content, it was one of the most interesting ads I've seen on my Instagram account almost ever. And when you posted it in the Facebook group saying we need to solve this, it had like 350 comments because everybody was looking at it so, so confused. It soon turned out that it was an ad for Coles of all people. And do not stress, this is not even an ad for Coles talking about their ad. I'm just so intrigued about why a brand would make this decision to have sponsored content on all of our feeds but not actually associate themselves with it. Like how effective is an ad if you don't know who to associate with it is my overriding question here. Yeah, and this would be so, so expensive. We can't understate that. I know that a supermarket chain like Coles or Woolworths would have huge marketing spend. But to enlist the help of Chrissy, Rebecca, Georgia, on top of other influencers that our own listeners unearthed in the thread that we had. Sophie Keisha was on board with this. Television stars from The Real Housewives of Melbourne, Yummy Mummies, Survivor Australia, MasterChef. There are a few writers, media personalities, disability advocates. This was so far reaching, this campaign of hashtag thanks for the memories with no actual sponsor listed, that this would have been upwards of $100,000 spent. Totally. So I spent a bit of time over the last couple of days asking people in the industry about this campaign and what they actually know about it. My understanding is that obviously for supermarket chains, Christmas is like the biggest time that they spend all their money. They have a huge build up. They would use television commercials. They also use influencers, but they use a whole heap of ways to communicate their message at Christmas time because obviously it's the time we're spending the most. My understanding is that Coles was using two separate advertising agencies for these major social campaigns, right? Interesting. One was in charge of the real brandy ads that you would have seen. I don't know if you saw a mish. There were a whole heap of ads about ham and cooking a Christmas ham. So there was a social campaign like that and they likely would have had KPIs on the X amount of products needed to be featured in these ads. There was another agency entirely with a different motive, which was to talk about Christmas and memories without even mentioning, like the specifics of the brief were to not mention the brand. I mean, we can only come at this as consumers, like how effective a campaign is if you don't know what to make of it. I think it might be effective for a brand like Coles because they are so ubiquitous. Coles are everywhere. They're huge. They have huge marketing spend, not just on social media, but also on television, on out of home advertising. So the billboards you see or the, for example, bus stops that have branding across them. They're on radio. They are literally everywhere. And I think maybe because they are so prominent across the media in general, they can do one of these social media campaigns because thanks for the memories, I think is something they've used across all of their advertising. And if they just trigger that memory, that recall of thanks for the memories being tied to Coles in an Instagram feed, even if they don't have Coles tagged or Coles even mentioned or a Coles product in the frame, it still makes people feel a positive, nostalgic attachment to Coles. And I think that's what the brand was going after here. And Christmas, of course. I thought it was interesting that Coles' CMO told Mumbrella that people can find Christmas and the entertaining around it stressful. And what they wanted to do, and I think what a lot of supermarket chains want to do over this period, is pull back from the stress or talking about the stress of Christmas and kind of zeroing in on that idea of nostalgia and happy times. I do think they're also, exactly as you're saying, building to three key TV commercials that are all explicitly tied to the supermarket chain. They're all explicitly talking about thanks for the memories. And I agree with you, only a brand like Coles could get away with this by sort of seeding out that message without having to tie themselves to their own brand name. I am wondering if it marks sort of a new era in Instagram advertising or SponCon that we see on our Instagram feeds as to whether traditional forms of SponCon, where it is hashtag ad, hashtag brand, 
isn't as effective anymore? Yeah, I think so. I think part of this campaign would have been a pushback on the kinds of branded content we see on Instagram itself. I think that potentially some brands are growing wary or weary of the churn and burn kind of sponsored content we see and that perhaps followers are more attuned and are more aware of how this industry works. I think there's a story we're going to talk about in the quick and dirty in a little bit that shows that some influencers will just promote anything if the price is right and some brands like Coles want to push back on that to the point where they don't even want their brand mentioned they just want their slogan mentioned but anyone who was on that thread in our Facebook group or is listening to this now and thinks oh well maybe that was a mistake of Coles that the social media manager from Coles forgot to tell everyone to tag Coles in their caption no we've actually heard from people in the industry that it was explicitly stated do not mention Coles that was a very clear very direct message to people and I think we should analyze that because that is definitely new territory for sponsored content online. Yeah, and I do think it comes back to this idea that there are very few brands that could get away with it. I don't think the odd Instagram brand who relies on its brand presence being very prevalent on Instagram could survive a campaign like this. But I think exactly as you say, if a conglomerate like Coles can have messaging across a million different platforms, it's actually worth trying. So I don't think this is going to be something that we see time and time again with different brands. But I do think it may mark a new era in how brands approach sponsored content. Instagram will always be used for SponCon. I'll just be so intrigued to see whether it changes much in the next year or so. Thank you, next bitch. And now it is time for the quick and dirty for the last time of 2019. The last time, Michelle, for the decade, if you will. What have you got for me? My first story, Mariah's made nearly $1 million from your All I Want for Christmas is You Spotify streams this year. That is from Pedestrian. And cheers to Mariah. I'm going to pour myself some more champagne while we toast to Mariah's success. It's interesting to me how this song seems to get more popular as the years go by. Yes. Are you feeling this just anecdotally? It's the love actually of... Christmas jingles. It's <laughs> because it's probably in love, actually. Um, CNN also reported this week that Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas hit number one for the first time ever. So I think that is such a curious fact that it's the first time that the 25-year-old song has hit number one. The previous record was number three on the same chart. I was just Googling that. When did this even come out? 25 years ago. Was that when we were born? Is it 1994? <gasps> 1994. It's our song. Also, Carey's... <laughs> Anyone born in the year of 1994, this is your song. We own this song. Mariah Carey has also reportedly earned more than $60 million US in royalties from this song, according to a 2016 estimate by The Economist. That's three years ago. And I do feel like this song is gaining momentum and popularity. So she's only making more and more money from it. Wow. Would you like some more champagne, my love, before I, we go on to story two? No, cut, keep going. Oh. My glasses are full. I'm fine. Oh, wow. Now I feel embarrassed. I'm drinking more <laughs> quicker than you are. My second story... Bang, bang, there goes Jessie J and Channing Tatum's relationship. That is from Vulture. Are you surprised? I have to say not particularly and then I'm trying to wonder why. This article was the shortest article in the world. It's probably 150 words and it basically said, we've got some sad news. They split about a month ago. They've been really busy and they drifted apart. They spent about a year together and that's it. Dunzo. I did notice that about a month ago was when Channing Tatum was in Australia. It might have been a little less than a month ago was when Channing Tatum was in Australia promoting Magic Mike down Mm -hmm. in Melbourne. We very nearly went to that because we thought, (laughs) we want to meet Channing Tatum. And then we thought, so are all 400 people in the same room (laughs) going to want to meet Channing Tatum. You turn to me and you're like, do you reckon we'd get to like 
talk to him? And I was like, no, Zara. Could we get him on the podcast? Yeah. Uh, no, not surprised. I do think it'd be hard, the first relationship out of a long-term one. Also, they just seem to travel a lot. And I don't know what else happened in that relationship. But something about me isn't shocked and I just don't know why. Oh, poor Channing. Poor, poor Jessie J. What is Jessie J doing now? I feel like she was the pop star of the moment 10 years ago and then her career semi-fizzled. Was she singing 10 years ago? Yes. She was big when I was in year 11 because I can't believe I even remember this. Oh my God, You'll laugh at tag. this. There was an MTV competition where you could meet Jessie J or like Rihanna or Beyonce. There were three pretty big names at the time. And I remember thinking if I won this competition, I'd meet Jessie J, which looking back, how could you not want to meet Rihanna? You're so right. Nothing, also, nothing mean to Jessie J, but come on, it's Rihanna. Sorry, my eyes were sort of distracted by her Wikipedia page as we're recording. That's a silly, silly story, but I love it. I love that. <laughs> I love how stupid kids are, i.e. you. But you're right. She has been singing for a long time. God, 10 years goes fast. So is the theme of today. Yay. My third story. This one is such a cracker. Three celebrities were asked to promote a weight loss drink that included hydrogen cyanide. They said yes. That is from BuzzFeed. This is one of the more interesting stories I've read this week. For those who missed it, let's go back a step. So the BBC actually decided to do an investigation about... SponCon and reality stars and influencers. And what they did is they got three big name Instagram influencers. And when I say big name, I mean UK big name because I actually <laughs> hadn't heard of any of them. Lauren Goodger, Mike Cassini, If you'd and Zara fucking Holland. watched Love Island, like I've told you that many times, you would definitely recognise Zara Holland's name. Zara was on season two of Love Island and she left in interesting circumstances. Oh, my poor namesake. Would what you she, like the quick what, story? What's she doing for Zara's across the world? Anyway, they were all secretly filmed being asked to promote a fake diet drink in the BBC3 series Blind Boy Undestroys the World despite it not being ready for production. So what happened is they were caught on tape agreeing to promote this drink even though the ingredients were read to them a hundred times. They were told they weren't going to be able to trial it before they promoted it and would that be a problem? And all of them were caught on tape doing what, Michelle? They all said no, that wouldn't be a problem. That they often don't trial things. It's kind of the norm that they don't trial products before they provide sponsored content and that they will very readily mislead their followers and tell them to buy a product that they haven't even tried. One instance that I found fascinating was actually Lauren Goodger. She said that she had recommended this caffeine weight loss supplement and was kind of laughing with her manager saying that she had fooled all of her followers to try it to shed some kilograms when she hadn't even tasted the thing before. She had never used it once. That wasn't even the most alarming fact for me. I think the most alarming fact is that you can see all of these influencers filming video clips promoting the drink, mentioning the ingredient hydrogen cyanide, which literally is a poison that can kill you. And the fact that they didn't do any digging into what they were actually promoting. Like, yes, it's one thing to not try it, but it's another entirely to have no understanding of the product you're actually promoting. It has made them look terrible. I feel like this will mean that they will all lose a lot of work. I'm interested before we move on about what you think about the three influencers being made an example of. I was going to bring this up. I thought you were going to make the exact same comment I was going to. I'm not surprised they're all reality TV stars. And I wonder what you think of this. I wonder if people who reverse engineer an influencer career out of a following they gained from reality TV are perhaps less picky and less curated with the content that they choose to sponsor. Because they're more reliant on the income that comes from it. I think so. I think I've definitely noticed abroad in particular that reality stars will lend their names and their profiles and their followings to quite dubious products. For example, the laxative teas, the laxative 
lollipops, the waist trainers. I feel like reality stars do have a monopoly on those kind of products. And I think there's a reason for that. And that probably is they don't care as much on the whole as a community. I know that there will be exceptions to this. They don't care as much about the end result. But I still am interested about this idea of three influencers being made an example of when I think it's a very prevalent thing across the influencer community. I do think that in order to make a point, a wider point, people do need to be made an example of. That is a very unfortunate reality. But these three will lose far more work than any other influencer when a lot of others might do exactly the same thing. Tough luck. Sorry. No, I was playing devil's advocate. I really don't (laughs) give a fuck. But I do think it's interesting. Totally. My fourth story. Speaking of reality TV, Caroline Flack quits as Love Island host after being charged with assault. That is from Metro. We need to be careful about this, Sarah, because she has been charged, obviously not found guilty of anything. Her boyfriend has come out in her defence. However, he was, according to reports, taken to hospital after he was allegedly beaten by Caroline Flack. Interesting timing, this one, because Love Island is about to enter its first ever winter series. Is that mm-hmm. right, Michelle? In South Africa. So it's the first time they've ever done two series in one year. It's already new territory for them, for them to then find a new host and then try to sell and package that entire season with a different host and a different, pre- I guess not premise, but a different location and yep. things like that. We'll be curious to see whether ratings will be the same and that kind of fierce, whatever you are, Stan. Are you a Love Island Stan? I would call myself a Love Island Stan. Is there a level up from Stan? <laughs> Love Island is my religion. <laughs> I don't I don't even make any apologies for that. Love Island Australia can kind of get in the bin. Last season was pretty terrible. But Love Island UK, like I wish the heavens were opening and the angels were singing right now. It's the best show on television ever. Full stop. I am sad about this. I am devastated that Caroline Flack has allegedly beaten her boyfriend. I'll be very interested to see what comes out about this in the future. But there have been question marks around Caroline Flack for a while now. I think if you guys look online, you'll be able to find some interesting allegations. There were also question marks over her potentially sexual, potentially not relationship with Harry Styles when Harry Styles was 17 and she was in her 30s. And I think that is something that we would kind of prod a man about and we should prod a woman about as well. Totally. What else you got for me? My fifth and final quick and dirty story for 2019. The hill I will die on. Pavlova actually sucks. That is from Junkie. It was a piece written by Maeve Marsden. You shared it in the Facebook group this week. It went fucking bananas. It went bananas. I hate Pavlova. I like. I, I hate, hate pa- Pavlova too. Me too. And my housemate looked at me last night and she said, I wasn't going to bring this up with you, but I saw that you posted that in the Facebook group. And then she was like, you know my mum makes the best Pavlova. And I was like, this <laughs> is such a classic response that people feel so personally attacked when a dessert or a type of food is denigrated because it you, you tie it to the person you love the most making it the best. Yeah. Anyway, I hate Pavlova. I think it's sticky and sugary. I think it falls apart way too easily. It's too hard to transport. I think it's pumped full of too much sugar and I don't say that from a health standpoint. It makes me feel sick. It makes me feel sick. It's too heavy. It's gross. It's gross. I should put a disclaimer here. I'm not a massive cake slice person. Like I could say goodbye to a heap of them. If they all disappeared from the world, I wouldn't care. <laughs> what category does Pavlova even fit into? Is it a cake or a slice? Well, I just did cake slash slice. <laughs> I think this is like when I said that shapes were a chip and everyone came for me. Shapes are not a chip. They're like their own category. Pavlova is its own category. I do want to read a couple of quotes from this story 
story by Maeve Marsden because I think they're so bang on. This quote speaks to my soul. This Christmas, I'd rather eat dirt from the hill I'm going to die on than consume the ubiquitous eggy sugar pile everyone has been fawning over. Lovely, lovely turn of phrase. Great. My second one. The pav is fragile and moody, sweet and sickly. It's crispy white shell bellying a spongy soft white centre that collapses at the merest hint of heat or pressure. The pav doesn't care about climate change. The pav is Kerri-Anne Kennelly. <laughs> it's so true though. Like it is sweet and sickly and it's just so fragile. Like it is a vulnerable dessert that wasn't designed for our world. It was, it's too fragile for the world. The pavlova is that person you meet who just has no substance to them and you're like, this is very one note. Is this it? Is this all you've got to you? I also don't really like meringue that much. Yeah, no. Mer- well, meringue and pav are from the same family, That's what right? I mean. Yeah, exactly. And also cream. Eh. Anyway, <laughs> I feel like this is, this is too much of a downer for Christmas. So what I will do is say that my Christmas dessert of choice. Oh, I was going to ask you. Please give it to us. I actually think it's something fucked and random like a brownie. Yeah, you do love your brownies. You make a fabulous brownie. Maybe you should make Christmas brownies with like red and green M&Ms on top. But I just want them how I make them. Like this is what I think the issue with Christmas is. We change perfectly (laughs) good things to try and fit them into the Christmas mould when we don't need to. I was listening to the high-low and Dolly Alderton said that her mum, or it might have been Pandora, said her mum used to dye the mashed potato green and red. And I think that's (laughs) a step too far. Yeah, so with green and red M&Ms in my brownies. My brownies are perfect. They don't need sprinklings of Christmas. They're so happy they can exist by themselves. What's yours? I would say my sister Evelyn made makes the best gingerbread in the world. I'm typically not a huge gingerbread person, but she nails it every single year and she decorates it in a really cute, fun way. And I think it's just a talent of hers. So gingerbread all the way. Thanks. I don't know how we got here, but Merry Christmas. And is that all for the quick and dirty? Yay. Bye 2019. Oh my God. Bye 2019. We have to do the rest of the episode. Don't we? <laughs> Coming up after the break, the decade that was, plus how Chrissy Teigen ignited a debate on domestic chores. But first a word from today's sponsor. In case you missed it, you very likely didn't. This week officially marks not just the end of 2019, but the end of a decade in its entirety. Naturally, that fact has sparked a whole heap of think pieces about the decade that was. So we decided to do our own segment on it. How would we look back on the pop culture moments of the last decade? What were the moments that changed our culture as we know it? Mish, if you would look back on the last decade, what do you think was the most defining pop culture moment? I don't have one. I have five. Ooh, I have I have about the same. All right. Should I just start with one of mine that I've got listed down and we can kind of run through our list and have a bit of a chat about each. One that really defined the decade for me might be interesting to some people because we very, very rarely talk about them, but One Direction was formed in 2010 and I think their story arc and the arc of their career has really defined this decade. I think One Direction opened this decade as the shiny new teenagers on the block. They were newly minted celebrities after their time on The X Factor. They were very, very widely derided for their music and their talent and because their fan base was largely made up of young women and young teenage girls no one really took them seriously but I find it very very interesting indeed that we are now closing the decade and their breakout star Harry Styles isn't only redefining what it means to be a pop star but to be an alluring man and to be masculine I think his look and what he has brought to the industry is shape-shifting and I don't think it's any coincidence that One Direction was the biggest pop band at the beginning of the decade and we are closing out the decade 
decade with Harry Styles, who officially has five songs in the Spotify Global Top 50 chart right now. It's so interesting. When I found myself doing all my reading about the decade that was, One Direction came up a lot. And don't get me wrong, I can see how One Direction were huge across the decade. But in terms of like a shape-shifting cultural moment, I actually don't see it. I can't see them as a boy band very differently to the boy bands that moved before them. Like what's the difference between One Direction and maybe NSYNC before them? I know that you're saying that Harry Styles as the breakout star has been redefining how we consider masculinity and things like that. But I still don't see the formation of One Direction as really pivotal to the decade. And I don't know if that just makes me silly. See, I do. I think the relevance they had on social media and I think social media was so crucial in building their profiles across Instagram and across Twitter, which were both defining features of the 2010s. I think One Direction potentially wouldn't have had the success they did in any other decade. And I think Harry Styles cannot be underestimated. I think his new album and his look and the fact that he refuses to define his sexuality is very much of this moment and of this time. I do think something that's been omitted here in this discussion so far is the idea of like manufacturing a boy band. I know we've talked about manufacturing a pop star, but this really was a manufactured boy band care of Simon Cowell who got five singers together from The X Factor who reportedly aren't the world's best singers. And I know that's got us in trouble before for saying that, Michelle, but they weren't always the best singers. It was just they were the most marketable five people you could possibly find in the one room. Mm. And I think that's also an interesting idea, that sort of journey, and I hate that word too, but from reality TV to mainstream to now. I do think that is interesting, but... The idea that they've defined a decade. I don't know. I find it an overstatement. What's your one then? Come back at me with one. Don't come back at me with Instagram because we're going to agree on that one. I know, but I do want to I do want to start this by talking about Instagram because that was formed in 2010. On July 16, 2010, Instagram co-founder Kevin Systrom uploaded the first photo on the platform, which then launched in October. There's a great episode of how I built this with Kevin for those who haven't listened to it. I think if you are in the sort of Instagram nostalgia mood, listen to that episode. I'll pop it in the show notes because he talks about uploading that first photo and I can almost picture that photo now because I've gone back and looked at it. I think Rebecca Jennings wrote for Vox a really interesting line. She said, Instagram has altered the human digital experience as we know it, democratising fame and birthing a new creative class, influencers, who would change consumer culture and the nature of celebrity. Now with more than a billion users worldwide, Instagram is facing an existential question. How should we view an app whose perfectly curated aesthetic makes its users feel depressed and anxious? How weird is that that 10 years ago influencers didn't exist and they are just such a feature and a pillar of young women's lives? And completely changed how we bought things. Like it changed consumer culture. Not just consumer culture, but it also kind of changed dramatically what brands could almost afford to start up seeing how they could market themselves on the platform. Totally. I think it's also been huge for female startups. I think this last decade has seen so many women-led businesses and women-led companies thrive on Instagram. Because I think the language of Instagram has been so well learnt by young women. They've known how to harness the power of social media really effectively. And I think it's seen lots of women reach great success, which is amazing. It also, as you said, redefined the fields of marketing, advertising and business. And it forced a whole bunch of really older people to figure out what the fuck was going on on this platform that all of us were so obsessed with. Exactly. And I think it sounds like such a basic answer to just come back and say Instagram. But I would argue that Instagram changed our decade more than anything else did. Because I think Instagram... Instagram feeds into almost every other story or every other event or pop culture moment that we're about to talk about. Agree. Can you give me one that's 
a little bit more controversial. Um, I think the royals were absolutely defining the decade. Yeah, I I agree with that. We had, what, two royal weddings? We had two royal weddings. Will and Kate obviously got married. Meghan and Harry got married. I also read a very interesting piece about the influences of the royals, the very subtle influence of the royals in the last couple of years, given what's going on in Britain with Brexit. And Zoe Williams wrote for The Guardian, the royals have become potential allies in the rebellion against lunacy. And she wrote a lot about how she never thought that she would look to the royals for hope, but she is finding herself doing that. And I think that is such a shift in terms of our perception of the royal family. Don't get me wrong, the royal family is very flawed. (laughs) There are major issues with the monarchy in general. But I do think this idea at a time of huge political instability, there was something about the royals that became rather arresting this decade. I agree with that. I think they had a complete PR overhaul. I know we didn't really live through it or we weren't old enough to know what was going on. But in the 90s, they had huge PR crises and obviously the death of Princess Diana and there are a whole bunch of conspiracy theories, but also just really sordid tabloid headlines. They went away for the 2000s and I feel like over the last decade, they've really had this resurgence and the youth that has been injected into the royals through Kate, but also through Meghan has been revitalising for that brand in general because it felt archaic before those women came along. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, there are still a heap of elements that feel archaic about the royal family. I do feel like we need that caveat there because people will make that comment and there's no denying that. But there is certainly something less rigid about this form of the royal family than ever before. And I do think at a time in Britain where things are so all over the place and unstable, there is something about the stability of the royals that can't be underestimated. Absolutely. I have a curveball for you. Hit me. I think RuPaul's Drag Race has influenced the way we live and speak beyond measure. I don't think that's controversial. Unfortunately, we're just finding ourselves agreeing with each other here apart from One Direction. I think I don't have that in my notes, but I think it has been very important. Yeah. For those unaware, RuPaul's Drag Race premiered in 2009 and it brought makeup contouring to the mainstream. So after RuPaul's Drag Race really made that method of makeup and cosmetics known, it was picked up by people like Kim Kardashian's makeup artist, which then found its way into Kim Kardashian's beauty line, KKW Beauty. It has challenged gender norms. I think our understanding of how gender is fluid and how people express gender has really been allied by RuPaul's Drag Race. I think on top of all this, our day-to-day lexicon, like we use words like throwing shade, which originated from this show. I think it's so interesting that this one program, which debuted to not many viewers at all, it took a decent chunk of time to gain traction, is now in its 12th season, I think. And it really has found its own niche, but a popular niche in pop culture. I've been thinking a lot about trans visibility, given Caitlyn Jenner opposed on the cover of Vanity Fair in 2015. And obviously, we're not confusing those two things. Mm. But I do find sort of the evolution of how we talk about gender very interesting in this context and sexuality and sex because there's been a lot of conversations very recently about how despite trans visibility being huge over the last decade or bigger than ever it hasn't always equaled rights or wealth there was a great piece in vice by caitlin burns who said the 2010s were also when we learned that mainstream visibility doesn't always equal rights wealth or safety thomas page mcphee also wrote for the new york times everyone knows we exist but very few people know one of us well enough to see us as complex 
fully formed human beings. Trans people may be on more screens and magazine covers than ever before, but for the 84% of Americans who believe they've never met a trans person in real life, we still live in the realm of imagination, theoretical at best. It's quite a sobering look at the decade, and mm. I think it would be so easy for us to say, well, someone like Caitlyn Jenner maybe wasn't perfect in terms of a trans role model or whatever it might be, mm. but she was great for visibility. But I think the conversation that we have next is, is visibility always the best thing? Does mainstream visibility actually translate in the things that the community actually wants? Yeah, it definitely needs to be pushed forward. I wonder if you remember this. We, in April this year, I think, we actually met a drag queen. And again, we're not confusing drag with trans people they're two very different spheres but obviously there are some overlap as well in that some trans men often do appear on RuPaul's Drag Race so I do want to bring it back just for a second we met an Australian drag queen called Karen from Finance earlier this year and she was talking about how RuPaul made her feel welcome for one of the first times in her life and I really don't think we can understate that but definitely in the next decade more needs to be done to help bring equality to this marginalised group of people. I do want to talk to you about Kylie Jenner because I also think Kylie Jenner is a standout moment or person from the last decade. And I kind of regret not talking about her last week in the Instagram face discussion that we have, which I really, really enjoyed. But I think Kylie almost epitomizes that Instagram face that we discussed. If anything, when we were talking about curating your face to perform well on social media, Kylie Jenner is the living embodiment of that. Yeah, you're so right. She grew up in the era that we're talking about and sort of changed her entire look in order to... Fit trends. Fit trends, yeah. And I know that sounds like quite a clinical way of looking at it and I, I imagine when she's making the decisions to change her face or to change her body or whatever it might be, it's not just I'm going to do this to get engagement or likes. But there is something to be said about how we've seen a young kid grow up in front of us, not mm. just on television but on Instagram and has turned out exactly as what we were talking about last week. Do you think that Kylie Jenner has had a major impact culturally? I don't think we can deny the Kardashians are huge culturally. They greatly impact the way we spend our money in particular. And she's the most powerful Kardashian genesis sister. She's 154 million followers. She is only 22, yet is the richest of any of them and created a billion dollar company. I think absolutely she is one of the standout celebrities of the last decade. We can't forget that in 2010, she was 12. Like think about how much this woman has changed and defined a decade in the last 10 years from teenager to very young adult. It's pretty crazy to think about. The one that I'm desperate to bring into this discussion is Serial, the podcast. Ah. Um, in Refinery29 said 2014 was the year the world listened to Serial together. And I thought that was a very beautiful line about it. I do not think, and I know we're overusing this line that we can't underestimate, but I do think that Serial changed the podcasting game in its entirety. Mm. I think it made it mainstream more than anything else has before. And given so many of us now in 2019 spend our time listening to podcasts, we spend them making podcasts, I think they would have become mainstream eventually. But I think it was Serial that was a very pivotal point. Rebecca Mead wrote for The New Yorker that Serial was the first show to induce advertisers to take podcasting seriously. It was like money trucks started opening up and pouring out money, Benjamin Walker told her, who was the host of his own podcast. The creative and economic accomplishment of Serial has spawned countless imitators and many have shamelessly echoed its tropes. The wary, methodical host, the true crime incident or other sensational event which has been plucked from newspaper archives and transformed into a twisty narrative. Isn't it funny... Just as you read that out, it occurred to me that I was researching the last decade and looking at all the pop culture moments from the last decade and it didn't occur to me that podcasts 
didn't exist or were not popular whatsoever a decade ago. And that's my entire job. Exactly. I think it's huge. And I think Serial, which came out in 2014, as I said before, had a huge, huge impact on Mm. the industry at large. And true crime as well. Think about true crime content that has been explosive in the last decade. I don't remember there being, I mean, again, I was younger, but I don't remember there being huge communities and movements built around true crime content before making a murderer and serial. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty crazy to think about. I also think just how serial impact the economics of making podcasts in that it made advertisers run. It made Mm. advertisers run to the platform and think this is where I should spend my money, which obviously impacts an entire industry because then people can afford to do it. So that's one of the biggest ones of the decade for me. I think this is what blows my mind about this entire segment and this discussion at large and that how much are we going to change in the next 10 years? Like our behaviour and the way we live our lives is so hugely different. The fact we're all even listening to this podcast now, the fact you and I are sitting here and making it is so curious because what's it going to be in 10 years? What's the forum? What's going to be the next Instagram, the next TikTok, the next podcasting platform? Like how are we going to change again? I did want to finish Mish by talking about Hollywood and Hollywood over the last decade there were two kind of defining hashtags of the decade I would say hashtag Oscars so white and hashtag me too were huge in Hollywood this decade both tried to reshape Hollywood in some way and both had very varying levels of success in 2016 no actors of color were nominated for Oscars for the second year running which meant the hashtag Oscars so white was very very prevalent at that time however earlier this year Professor Doreen Kondo pointed out that while the number of roles for people of colour have increased over the last two years, their representation still doesn't reflect the actual population of the world around us. Hashtag Me Too was successful in starting a conversation, but I think for those who have read Jodie Cantor and Megan Toohey's book, She Said, there's a really sobering reflection at the end about how much that hashtag actually can do and it starts a conversation I guess about forgiveness in the public eye so as much as we can talk about those hashtags trying to do good it is again kind of sobering to look back and say well how much tangible change can they do and what happens as that change kind of takes effect because do we let people like Louis CK back in the industry and there are so many unanswered questions still left at the end of a decade. What a decade. I feel, I don't know how I feel about it ending. Have you enjoyed the last decade? What are you, what are you going to remember from it most? What are your standout I mean, memories? I've lived in two, like maybe two and a half decades. <laughs> so it's not like I've got to be right up there with my top three. <laughs> it's, like, it's in my top three decades for sure. Um, what do I remember from it? Well, this was the year that I finished school, graduated uni and started work. So mm. I think I would argue it was probably the most defining decade in terms of working out who I am as mm. earnest as that sounds. How about you? I think the same. I think it's weird. I look back on my life, like I look back to 10 years ago, I would have been in year 11 in 2010 and I feel like a different person. Like I don't even remember who I was back then and how much you change. It's just weird to look at 10 years. And I know again, that time is a made up construct and blah, blah, blah. But Mm -hmm. it's interesting to pin it down and look at how much things change and life changes over the space of 10 years. And in the instance of not only pop culture, but I think our personal lives and the lives of those around us, it almost completely changes your entire life come to the facebook group for people listening shameless podcast community we will have a thread for the episode and i want people to talk about not just their biggest moments of the decade because trust me we could go on for hours about the defining moments of a decade there's talk no, to me about one direction there's no <laughs> way we can cover them all talk about your defining pop culture moments of the decade but also your personal defining moments of the decade mm. i think that's very interesting to look back at the thing that you can pinpoint the most that maybe changed your life or changed your personality and things like that i think we're getting way too earnest here so <laughs> <laughs> i think i'm getting a little bit tipsy that's, that's why true. 
probably you're getting it. like a red rash on I'm your chest. It's so warm in here. It's so warm in Melbourne at the moment. It's probably also the champagne. So we are going to roll into our third segment. <laughs> Lord help us. This week, Chrissy Teigen tweeted directly into the hearts and minds of women around the world. On Wednesday, she wrote, I didn't know tonight was the voice finale. John invited everyone to dinner at the house after and I'm really fucking mad because I didn't make a fucking finale meal. I would have gotten a cake or something too. Who the fuck does this? You don't win the voice, then eat short ribs. It sounds dumb, yes, but this is very John. I am always in charge of doing the fun extra shit, but he has no idea how much I plan normally. And he's like, no, it's fine. They just want to have dinner. But it's literally the finale of their show and I have no ice cream truck. The commentary that ensued proceeded to be covered by every news publication under the sun and generated hundreds of thousands of likes and comments. Zara, why do you think Chrissy Teigen's tweets spoke to so many women? I mean, I think there are a whole heap of reasons here. I think first and foremost, it's who's tweeting. There's no way that if many other people tweeted about this, we would care to the same level. I think it was only six weeks or so now ago that Chrissy Teigen and John Legend posed for that now very famous Vanity Fair Mm -hmm. spread where their marriage was painted in a kind of perfection and not like a glossy, inauthentic perfection, but that sort of, and I hate this term more than anything, but I can't think of another way. Authentic. No, I was going to say imperfect perfection. Oh my God. Perfectly imperfect. Fuck, I hate that term. You also hate authentic in my defence. I know, I hate all of them. No, (laughs) I hate everything. (laughs) Kidding. Christmas is a happy time. Um, I do think that that is crucial here. I think that that everybody is talking about it. They're so at the centre of the zeitgeist that if many other people decided to tweet about this, nobody would give a fuck. I agree with that. I also think this time of year really highlights the disparity in how much housework and organisational work women do compared to men. And of course, not all men. I hate that I have to give this caveat that obviously that will not be the case in every household or every relationship, but across the board, it is absolutely the case. Last year, SBS surveyed thousands of Australians and found that 86% of Australian women say they are still burdened with the majority of housework. So we know this is the case on the whole. And I think Christmas time platforms it we see it more than ever we see the women of our lives wrapping presents buying the presents thinking about who the hell to buy for doing the budget for it planning the meals organizing who's bringing what on Christmas day and I think this little example this anecdote from Chrissy Teigen and John Legend exemplifies the frustration so many women feel this one tweet really stood out to me she tweeted after the ones that I read out in that little intro she tweeted why wouldn't you just plan something I cannot plan every fun thing in your life for you. I think that speaks to me because I've felt that before. I think there are so many more layers to this though than we're initially giving it credit for because I think a sentiment that came up in our Facebook group when this was put in there was this idea that John Legend wanted his friends to come over for dinner and then she made the decision to make it extra, put pressure on herself and then yelled at him about the pressure she decided to put on herself. That was a comment in our Facebook thread and I thought this is is a very common thought, right, about women and domestic chores and the domestic load and emotional labour in general is this idea, well, you're putting pressure on yourself. Why don't you just take a step back? And I think it's this idea that if you did and if she did, nothing would ever happen. I think sentiments like that are an overly simplistic take on heterosexual domestic dynamics. I think it's this idea that societally we expect women to be the caterer and the host and everything else that comes along with it. And there's not just physical labour 
labor involved with planning things, but a lot of emotional labor too. If an event goes badly or if she has people turning up to a house and the house isn't clean and she doesn't have food ready and it's a bit of a, a clusterfuck, a clusterfuck, who does it reflect badly upon? I know a lot of people could be listening to this saying, well, but surely both of them, surely both of them, it's their house. But I don't think that's how it works. I really don't think mm. that's how it works. I think subconsciously we put a lot of pressure on women and when something falls down, for example, even speaking about the Judge Chella event from a few weeks ago, a lot of that pressure or branding was put on Rebecca Judd, not Chris it, Judd. It must have been her event. That's yeah. how we are branding it. Exactly. I think often on the whole, we see women as the people who need to organise things and the ones to turn to when shit goes wrong or when shit doesn't work. Like think about weddings even. How much of the burden do women take on to plan weddings instead of the groom? And again, people might say, oh, well, they don't need to do that if they're just more chill or if they have different priorities and it'll all work out fine. They're just prioritising this too highly. But the prioritising is a reflection of the pressure we feel from society that says we have to prioritise it because the event or the day is a reflection of our worth and our efficacy as a woman. Men probably haven't prioritised these things historically because everything magically falls into place for them and they just work out because women have been the ones doing it for them. So they don't need to prioritise it because it always ends up magically being done by the fairy godmothers that are women. I think this idea about the sentiment I expressed before that came up in that Facebook group, the idea that we internalise pressure, that we're putting pressure on ourselves is a real misjudgment on how much external pressure we feel. I think that's the crucial element here that we're ignoring. I can imagine exactly the dynamics between my parents. If my dad randomly invited a whole group of people over and my mum didn't have time to prepare and they have a very equal relationship. Mm. They have a wonderful relationship but I do think there would be huge frustration for my mum wanting to present the space in exactly the way she would if she had time to prepare. It's just a really interesting time to be having this conversation in the lead up to Christmas. My mum spends so much time stressing about Christmas. I would love to ask her if she really enjoys Christmas because I actually don't think she has the space to enjoy it. I think she would genuinely lose sleep on some nights just making sure not just the food is okay but that everyone is thought of and everybody feels comfortable. I think Mm. this is the idea we forget when it comes to event planning is that there are layers to event planning with family and friends that go beyond, like I say, just planning a physical event but making sure people feel comfortable and safe in your space. Absolutely. I think looking back at my childhood, my grandmothers and my mum and my aunt aunties were the ones who definitely took on the lion's share of Christmas preparation. What does make me hopeful, however, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts about this, Zara, is I'm not sure that will continue for much longer. Just thinking about my own life, I have had different friends events for Christmas. Some of those have been organized by the boys in the group and our New Year's getaway, we're doing like a little event with our friends over the New Year, that was all organized by the boys. So as much as I absolutely acknowledge that definitely for older generations, even for the generation above ours, it is expected that women organize events and women take on this mental load. I think for our generation and people our age, it is definitely changing. I know in my friendships and with my boyfriend, I do think there is more of an equal approach to stuff like this. Um, I think it's changing, but I don't feel the same in my friendship groups. I do feel like the girls are the ones that are organizing things properly. I think in my relationship, it's different. My boyfriend is a far better cook (laughs) and doing domestic stuff than I am. So that will hopefully stay the way that it is. But I think it might be an overstatement to say that this generation will be different in its entirety because an interesting thing happens when a heterosexual relationship moves into a home and has a child because I don't know how much you can fight external pressure and external expectations even if you both go into the relationship with the intention of splitting the load. I do want to finish on one final point 
for this episode. I just love Chrissy Teigen. I think we made a mistake last week when we brought her up in our Instagram face segment. We said that we were surprised to hear that she was getting plastic surgery because she had been very quiet about that. We were wrong. She has been open about her plastic surgery repeatedly. And I think it's wonderful that she has not only been transparent about that, but she's really emerged in the last decade as a funny and witty, outspoken political woman in the public eye. I think she really challenges a lot of what we expect from Instagram influencers or the wives of famous musicians and I think she is absolutely fabulous and I'm happy that she has burst onto the mainstream in the 2010s. Wow, just a little Chrissy Teigen shout out <laughs> to wrap the year. Guys, we are taking a little bit of a break over summer. Thank God. Yay. Well, not yay. I'll miss you guys, but we do need a couple of weeks off or a few weeks off just to de-stress, chill, enjoy time with our families and then be back raring to go in 2020. I think our first episode date is Jan 20, Zara. Yes, you are correct, Michelle. I'm usually the calendar queen, but we'll be back on January 20 with our first Monday episode and we'll be back to programming as normal. So find some other podcasts for a little while. No, well, yeah, all go back through our feed and listen to some of those. We also have a great thread in our Facebook group with plenty of other podcasts to listen to. Annabelle, do you have any message for the listeners to close (laughs) out the year? Because I want to thank everyone. This has been a great year. It has been so awesome to grow the podcast and the network in general and to find so many of you and have so many join the Facebook group and follow us on Instagram and meet you at live shows and just listen to the podcast. It has been an absolutely amazing year for Zara, myself and Annabelle as well. I mean, I hope. Of course, totally. I feel like it's been very, very daunting to do this whole podcasting (laughs) thing as much as it's been so much fun and I've had honestly the best year of my life. Sorry, this is getting a bit corny. (laughs) (laughs) Annabelle left the room for a little while when we did the decade wrap and we got so overly corny and earnest about like how things change over a decade. God, how fucking great is Christmas? (laughs) (laughs) I just feel like the Shameless community have been so supportive and I couldn't have done this with any other community with any yeah. other balses oh, <laughs> so great <laughs> annabelle calls us big balls <laughs> z and m and i hate it no you don't you fucking love I'm it i'm also very aware that scomo is still here <laughs> i would i have to admit scomo has been sitting over michelle's shoulder the entire record so i've got a bit flustered a big big thank you once again to all of you for listening for giving us your support your kindness for keeping us accountable when you don't necessarily love the things we say but doing it in such a kind and respectful way um i hope that can continue into 2020 always hold us to account but the way that you do it so respectfully and kindly means the world but we will be back like I keep saying January 20 will be the date that we're back and we're so excited to be relaxed and ready and raring to go yay have the most merry Christmas you guys and if you don't celebrate Christmas have a wonderful break anyway stay safe spend time with your loved ones we hope you have a blissful wonderful holiday and on the chance you are working we are thinking of you we are so grateful for what you do in this time of the year in particular and we will be back in 2020 and I can't wait so is my jingle my jingle's back I'm rolling out on this one everyone oh hi it's Annabelle Lee and Louis Hansen here we are your hosts of everybody has a secret Woo! Woo! we are here essentially just to let you know that we drop episodes every week now every damn Friday morning we are in your ears that is so exciting what a time (laughs) to be in your ear holes so essentially (laughs) each episode we unpack the real life secrets of our listeners so this is for everyone who loves you know just a little bit of gossip in -hmm. their lives which let's be real Annabelle is all of us it's absolutely all of us don't lie you all love gossip so if you want to listen to our show, please do head to your favourite podcast app and listen now. See you there. Bye.